Welcome to Careers of the Future, a show where students can learn how to best prepare themselves for the future of work. Each episode features an interview with an Ismaili at the leading edge of their field and is available in a podcast format and on The Ismaili TV. Ya Ali Madad, and welcome to Careers of the Future, a show where students can hear directly from Ismailis at the leading edge of their fields about how to most effectively prepare for the future of work. My name is Inara Jindani. I'm a member of the Ismailis youth team. I'm also a student and I'll be your host for this episode. Today we'll be exploring the future of the finance industry with our special guest, Dr. Sajid Chinoy. Dr. Sajid Chinoy is JP Morgan's Chief India Economist and also serves on the Economic Advisory Council to the Prime Minister of India. Dr. Chinoy has also worked at the International Monetary Fund and worldwide management consulting firm McKinsey and Company. He also has a PhD in economics from Stanford University. Dr. Chinoy, thank you for joining us today. Before we begin, are you able to define the work you do and how it fits in with the broader scope of the finance industry? Yali Madat, and uh, thank you, Nara. Thank you for having me here. Well, what I do is I'm a macroeconomist that works for an investment bank, JP Morgan. Uh, so really what I'm doing is research-related work and it's macroeconomic research. So it's not research on a particular sector or a particular set of companies, it's covering the economy. So I'm looking at tracking you know, GDP numbers, tracking inflation numbers, uh, following fiscal policy, following monetary policy, uh, looking at the exchange rate. So it's really looking at macroeconomic research, but in a functional sort of way, not an academic sort of way, uh, answering questions that may be relevant to you know, institutional clients of JP Morgan. And then some of the advisory work that I do for the government has a more policy bent to it. So you're trying to uh, you know, anticipate and answer uh, questions that are relevant for economic policy. So that's what I do uh, currently. Right, that's so interesting. So how is your life growing up and how did it have a formative role in where you are today? You know, the formative years, I think, play a really important part. I you know, owe everything to my parents and my, and my, and my sibling while I was growing up. Because I think what's really important to have is, ha is having a very caring, um, uh, you know, uh, environment at home. There was a lot of love and affection. And I think um, what was really important was from an early age, my parents kind of instilled a strong self-belief that if you put your mind to it, there's nothing you can't do. My mother kept saying, you know, there's no such word as can't. So there was always a sense that you could achieve whatever you put your mind to. And I think the other, you know, part that stands out from my formative years is that my parents were instrumental in opening a lot of doors. So when I was nine years old, uh, I wanted to go to boarding school at the other end of India. I grew up in Pune in Maharashtra. The boarding school was in West Bengal, which is in the east coast of the country. And many parents may have frowned sending, you know, their child at the age of nine uh, to a school several thousand miles away for nine months at a stretch. But they gave me that opportunity and my best friend and me went there. And I think being independent from the ages of you know nine, ten, eleven, uh, uh, were really important, you know, for, for the for the for the subsequent years of my life. So, uh, I think both in terms of uh, you know the affection uh, at home, I think uh, a, a sense of self belief, 
and then opening doors uh, that, you know, uh, were crucial to what happened later in my life. Yeah, that's really great. So, you know, in terms of that family life that you had and where you wanted to be, how did you know what career steps to take to get to where you are? And um, we know that your family was an inspirational guidance behind that, but was there anyone else that really guided you to get to where you are today? You know, I grew up uh, in the late 80s and early 90s in India before the spate of economic reforms. And so, frankly, the career opportunities were more limited. You had to make this choice of, well, either you pick science or, or you pick commerce. But at the age of you know 14 or 15, you don't know enough about these fields to make an informed decision. So another really crucial role that my family played was to try and, and facilitate my getting an opportunity to study uh, as an undergraduate in the United States. So I went there to the University of Richmond. And back at the time, it wasn't easy. This was the pre-internet age. Information was hard to get. It wasn't easy to, uh, to get financial aid at universities abroad. But again, the fact that my parents were keen that that door was open uh, was instrumental. And I went to the small uh, liberal arts college, the University of Richmond. Perhaps it's a funny story because um, I had applied for a full scholarship at Richmond, which typically was accessible only to students from the, from the, from, from the USA. And late one Sunday night, I get a, you know, a fax machine which you could barely read, which said that you're eligible for a full scholarship, but you've got to come for the final interview to Richmond, Virginia, and I had to be there within 72 hours. Now, you know, this was 1992. I was 19 years of age. I didn't have a U.S. visa. I'd never been to the U.S. before. And yet to be eligible for the scholarship, I had to physically be there in 72 hours. And it was a mad dash because my parents could have easily said, this is not worth doing. It's not worth going all the way there for one interview. You know, who knows whether you'll get the scholarship. But in fact, they pushed. And, you know, within 24 hours, I was from, I'd moved from Pune to Bombay. I'd gone to the U.S. consulate with this little flimsy fax. And I got a U.S. visa based on that fax machine. And 24 hours later, I'd bought myself a suit and a tie. And here I was on my way to the U.S. alone. So I get to the U.S. at the age of 19. I go to this small uh, 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 campus uh, and, you know, it, it changed my life because I, I gave that interview. Um, I ended up getting, you know, uh, this full four-year scholarship, uh, the Oldham Scholarship at the University of Richmond. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm very grateful to that university because I think the faculty there and my friends there uh, changed my life. And so really that was kind of a turning point for me. So I, I go there, I get the scholarship, I come back and I spend the next four years in Richmond. And, and here again, you know, this is the early 1990s. So every Indian student wants to be a computer scientist. And so I go to Richmond and I sign up for all these computer science courses. And this is the, the beauty uh, and the breadth of the American system, because if you're in a liberal arts curriculum, uh, um, you're in fact forced to sample different classes. So even though I was determined to be a computer science major, I was forced to take English, I was forced to take journalism. And in my second year, I was forced to take an economics class. And I go into this macroeconomics class, and the professor, Dr. Dolan, who I'm grateful to, you know, for my life, says, we're going to do this class without a textbook. And this was all new to me from India. So we did a macroeconomics class without a textbook because we were essentially, you know, analyzing uh, articles from a, from a magazine from different Nobel laureates. And I was so 
struck by how interesting and engaging that semester of macroeconomics was that I immediately said, this is what I want to do in life. I found my calling in life. Economics is a wonderful mix between having a technical math component, but also having a, you know, a component that, that deals with uh, human psychology uh, and sociology. And so, the, again, the beauty of the American system was I could then, for the rest of my time as an undergraduate, combine a computer science degree with an economics degree. So, you know, a lot of people, a lot of institutions have had a defining role to play. And my advice to anybody watching this is, you know, don't go into this with preconceived notions. You should not be saying, I want to be a finance person because it looks good in my resume or it pays very well. What you really want to do is find something you love. You want to wake up in the morning and love what you do. And the rest of it, believe me, will take care of itself. Yeah, that's um, really great to hear. So, you know, we can understand that your love of economics started at university or college. Um, so how did that translate into the workplace? Was it different um, to what you had experienced in that environment or was it the same? Well, that was just the start. So once I finished my undergraduate degree, again, it goes back to my professors at that university that said, if you really like economics, you, you, you have to drill deeper. It's not enough uh, to just have a bachelor's degree at my second lesson to you know, any of the students watching here is, you want to be the expert in your field. You really, you know, we're living in an age where expertise is deeply valued. Uh, breadth is important, but I would argue depth is even more important. I think the skill premium is just rising every year. And so my professors at Richmond said, uh, you really should do a PhD in economics because that's, that's how, where you'll procure the depth uh, that you can then use for many things in life. You could teach, you could work at the IMF or the World Bank, uh, you could do what I'm doing currently. So they pushed me into uh, doing a PhD. Uh, again, in the, you know, I applied to many universities, didn't think I'd get into Stanford because you know very few people from the University of Richmond had. But again, it was they that gave you the self-belief. And so I was fortunate to get into Stanford. My you know best friend and my roommate at the time uh, Konstantin Kulev from Bulgaria also did economics and math. He went to the University of Chicago. So we both were fortunate. But I think the key is having that PhD it took five years after an undergraduate degree. So I spent nine years in college, which many students now will scoff at. And, you know, everyone wants to get back, get, get to the workplace quickly. You want to earn money. But again, I urge you to, you know, uh, train yourself and teach yourself for as long as you can. So I ended up spending five years at, at Stanford and then I, you know, that prepared me to do different things. I worked at McKinsey for a couple of years. I worked at the IMF and now I'm doing, I'm working at JP Morgan. But that skill set that you get from a advanced graduate degree uh, uh, enables you uh, to, you know, uh, to do a variety of different things later in life. Yeah, no, that's Good. And I think education and working is um, just as important and education in this respect was really helpful to your career. Um, so, you know, this is a big question, but um, we know you have a lot of experience. Um, so where do you see the future of work heading in general? Um, you told us that things are really different back um, when you started your undergraduate degree. And um, what do you think now? Um it's a great question. It's a, it's a broad question. Well, you know, there are advantages and disadvantages. I would say uh, 30 years after I began this journey, the world is very flat. 
And I think um, that means that there are many more opportunities available now, so much access to information that we never had. And so, you know, the world is your oyster, uh, lots of opportunities from around the world. But it also means you're competing with everybody from around the world, right? So that's the, that's the challenge. So with the opportunity comes the challenge that you can do what you want uh, uh, because there's so much access, but you're also competing with the best. So I think there are some principles that will transcend time. And, and, and some of those principles are A, you really, and I can't stress this enough, you really want to love what you do. And I'm going to tell every young student that don't go into a um, career because it's fashionable, because it sounds good in your resume, uh, or because you think that's your path to earning a lot of money. Because I don't think that's a sustainable way. I think you want to sample a few things. And that's where I think going to a undergraduate university where you've got uh, many different options to pursue, you can try and test and experiment over there. So I think that's really important. And secondly, even in life, if you take a job that you're not happy with, uh, uh, you know, choose something else. But I think the first principle, you know, even if we talk about the future of work, which I will, is you really need to love what you do. I think the second principle is you need to be the very best you can. Uh, I'm a firm believer that uh, there's no such thing as uh, educating yourself too much. I think if you think, uh, you know, after an undergraduate degree, if an MBA is important, do that. If a master's degree is important, do that. If a post, uh, if a PhD is important, do that. Uh, if a postdoc is important, do that. But you know, give yourself the best chance in life by procuring uh, as many skills as you can. Now, I think the future of work is changing rapidly, both in terms of you know the opportunities available, but technology and automation uh, are, you know have just transformed the way we work and. I think 2020 uh, is, it was a great case in point where the world was turned upside down and uh, we all learned to be much more flexible in our ways. And the people that were able to be more flexible and to adapt to different situations uh, uh, you know, did very well. So I would say you know, technology is changing the way we work. Uh, if anything, the more mundane jobs can be Automa uh, automated, uh, and therefore it's even more important that the value addition that education brings to a job, that skill premium has gone up. That you really need to be doing more than what a computer can be doing. You need, you need to be bringing a thought process to your job, which you will gain through education and experience. So yes, you know, things are changing in terms of technology and automation, but listen, this is not new. Uh, this has been happening since the you know beginning of time, uh, whether it's the industrial revolutions. So every few decades, technology will be disruptive. Some jobs will go away, other jobs will be created, and so the balance has to be: you 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 be as good as what as you can be and what you want to do, but then you also learn to be flexible to adapt when when the situation so demands. Yeah, no, that's interesting and. In terms of your industry, which is um, the economics and finance finance industry, how do you see that shaping up to be in the future in light of those challenges? Again, it's such a broad industry, really. Uh, I'm you know, just doing one small part of that, which is research. But 
you know, uh, uh, in uh, economics, for example, I'll, I'll address both these uh, areas. In economics, for example, there are many different things you do. So uh, you could either be, uh, you know, teaching in an academic institution, if that's what you like. Uh, you can be working in policy institutions at the International Monetary Fund or the World Bank, uh, you know, or the WTO, if that's what uh, appeals to you. Or you could be working uh, in the commercial sector uh, um, and therefore, you know, large investment banks, commercial banks, all have a need for economic research. So where I work, uh, you know, apart from a macroeconomics team, uh, there is an equity research team where you've got analysts who work on different sectors. Uh, there are analysts that cover different firms. Uh, there are analysts that are working on big data. Uh, there are people working on fintech. So really, uh, there are a large number of options uh, even within research uh, in the commercial sector. So research is a very broad area. I think, well, you know, as you get through college, you'll have a better sense of um, whether uh, this area appeals to you. Now, finance uh, intersects with research, but, you know, again, finance is a very broad area. So there is a research component in finance. Um, there is sales. Um, there is trading. Uh, there's financial technology. So again, these are very broad areas. And I think people need to, um, uh, A, understand what excites them, but B, do a little bit more um, research and, and learn a little bit more about what each of these fields entails. You know, trading has a very different skill set. Uh, if you like numbers, you like algorithms, you like markets, uh, um, then, you know, those are skills that you need for trading. If you like interacting with people and you like relationships, but you also like finance, then you may well have a role in sales. Uh, if you like technology and you like finance, then the intersection of that would be, you know, fintech. Um, if you like, you know, answering questions and thinking more broadly uh, about policy questions, then you want to do macroeconomic research. So the opportunities are varied and the skill sets that are required are quite different, which is why, again, this should be an organic process where you understand better what you like and you understand better what's available and then you can hopefully get the fit right. Dr. Chinoy, are you able to tell us what the role of economics is in day-to-day -day life? It's a great question. It's a broad question. But, you know, um, we feel uh, the impacts of economic policy in our day-to-day -day lives. So at, the, at a macroeconomic level, the whole idea is to try and grow what we call GDP, gross domestic product, right, which is a measure of what a country produces. And really, what you're trying to maximize around the world is how do we increase the size of the pie? And when you increase the size of the pie, that creates more opportunities for us on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis in terms of you know, the goods we can afford, uh, the jobs we have, the opportunities we have. So the world has actually seen the greatest prosperity in the last 40 or 50 years in the history of mankind because we've seen global trade policy being aligned, because we've seen uh, uh, institutions being developed. Let me take the example of India. India has had, you know, 7% growth uh, in the last 30 years. The economy has liberalized, and that affects us on a very personal basis. After the economic reforms of the 1990s, um, jobs came up, sectors came up, companies came up that didn't exist in the past. So if somebody today is working at an in, uh, uh, information technology firm in India, that is a direct byproduct of economic reforms and economic policies that were put into place. So our daily you know, life of the, the kind of job we have, the quality of job we have, the physical infrastructure, 
that we have access to to get to that job, the access to health and education are all part of a macroeconomic policy making. So in terms of, um, as you said before, in terms of the critical skills, are you able to summarise for me um, some critical skills and traits that um, current students should look into obtaining to thrive in the industry? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that the, the, the most important critical skill is, um, you know, learning how to teach yourself throughout life, because this learning is never going to end. It's, you're never going to be in a situation where you say, well, I have these skills and that's enough. Uh, you know, times change. Um, as you've seen in 2020, technology will change. The demands of what you do change. So the most important skill is learning how to teach yourself throughout the course of your life. Now, what are the specific skills that are required for what I spoke about? Um, if you want to pursue a career in economics or finance, uh, uh, you want, you know, typically you should like analytical kind of work. So uh, if you like quantitative things, if you like math, for example, um, that's a good leading indicator that you would do well. If you like statistics, for example, that you would do well at certain kinds of economic research. Uh, if you like markets and you like market movements, um, then that's a good, that's a good uh, indicator that you may well do well as a trader. Uh, if you love technology and how that's evolving and how you can use technology uh, to solve, you know, uh, our daily uh, problems, or our, uh, 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 then you want to kind of go down the fintech path. So the skills will change and will depend on what is it, what is it that you want to do. But I think the the bigger lesson should not be uh, forgotten that you want to you want to a uh, uh, teach learn how to teach yourself. Um, you want to become the best at what you do. I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, you know, uh, when, when we used to go to Jamaat Khan uh, while growing up, I remember famously that the one line that we were told repeatedly is there may come a point in time where you may lose everything in life, but you will never lose your education. So I can't emphasize enough the importance of breadth, but more importantly, depth, that you want to become a specialist in a certain area. Then you can always add arrows to your quiver but you want to pick one area where you really know uh, the subject very well, uh, you, you, you like the area. Uh, and I think that's perhaps the most important attribute. If you go deep into one area and you know that well, and you like what you do, everything else uh, comes together. But critical skills, I would just say those uh, that like quantitative analytical work will have different opportunities. Those that like interacting with people may have a different set of opportunities. Uh, those that like technology, uh, there are other opportunities, and these are not exclusive. These are not mutually exclusive sets. Some people may have some combination of these traits. Wow, that's really great advice. Thank you so much. Um, so as we get to the end, um, I wanted to ask, where should high school and university students who are looking to get into the finance and economics industry start as a first step to get their foot into the door? So... My advice based on my life experience is be agnostic. Uh, it's great that when you leave high school, you have a sense of uh, the fact that you want to pursue economics or finance. I didn't at the time. You know, as I said, I was uh, flirting between computer science. Then I thought I'd be a journalist. And then I stumbled upon economics. So I would urge um, people in different parts of the world to try and look for the broadest undergraduate education that's available. I think the American system 
we've got a liberal arts curriculum uh, is, a, is a terrific template. So if you have access to a liberal arts curriculum where you can sample everything, right? That's perhaps the uh, a good starting point. And then if it turns out having sampled other disciplines that you're convinced um, that, you know, economics is what you like, finance is what you like, uh, um, then, you know, things will take care of themselves because then your professors will tell you what you need to do next, whether you need to go to business school and get an MBA or whether you need to go uh, and do a PhD, you'll get a better sense of whether you want to be an academic and teach uh, because the kinds of questions you're asking and the kinds of skills required there are different. Whether you want to be a policy economist and you know at some point come back to your home country and, and work for the government or work for the central bank, then you want to start thinking about institutions like the the International Monetary Fund or the World Bank, uh, if you want to go to the corporate sector uh, uh, and work over there, all of these questions, you know, get answered organically over time. So I think a starting point is it's great that students know what they like, but don't commit too early. Get through that undergraduate experience where you're kind of testing yourself that this is what you really like. Uh, and, and then I think things will take care of themselves from there because you will then know what you need to do next. And as Inara said, you want to get the balance between work and education, right? So maybe you want to take a few years off, work a little bit, and, and then come back uh, for, for advanced education. But you want to be, you. and I'm, I'm sounding like a broken record here. You want to develop the, the, the deepest possible skill in your area that you can when you finish your education. Thank you, Dr. Chinoy. Um so are there any other final words of advice you would give to the next generation of students on how to position themselves for the future of work? Well, you know what? Don't put too much pressure on yourself uh, uh, too early in life. Uh, if you relax and uh, you're intellectually curious, uh, things will take care of themselves. You know, in retrospect, uh, at the age of 16 or 17 or 18, uh, you know, our generation didn't put that much pressure on ourselves. We wanted to go to the US uh, to see, you know, all these different careers that were possible, but have a good time, uh, identify uh, what is it that really uh, drives you? What is it that you love? What is it that you're passionate about? What is it that you wake up and you say, here is how I want to change the world, or here's what I want to learn more. And I think as long as that's the attitude that you take to learning, things will uh, fall into place. Uh, um, don't reverse engineer this process by saying, I want to be a chief economist at an investment bank at the age of 35, and what do I need to do to get there? I think that's approaching this question the wrong way. Uh, enjoy your education. These years will never come back. Uh, it's the time of your life where you meet, um, you know, perhaps friends for life. Two of my best friends today are the people that I met on the very first week as an undergraduate in the US. So learn, enjoy, uh, see how the world is evolving and see what your role in that world uh, uh, will be in time to come. Dr. Chinoy, thank you so much for your time and your valuable words. And thank you to all of you for joining us today. Stay tuned to The Ismaili for future episodes where we'll be hearing from leaders in different fields of work to learn about how their industries are being shaped by the future of work. Thanks for listening to Careers of the Future. For more episodes of Careers of the Future, visit the.ismaili 
or subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform. 